Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Pastor Tim was right on when he was talking about making worship a priority for our lives. Uh, I know that in my life when worship is uh, part of my weekly routine, my whole entire way of viewing things and living life is completely changed for the better. This morning in worship, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, it talks about death, mourning, crying, and pain. And the news right now is kind of swarming with that sort of stuff, with death, with mourning, with crying, and pain. All the way from the earthquakes in Japan and Ecuador, all the way to the death of the popular musician, the artist formerly known as Prince. There's been a lot of speculation about Prince. The media is curious, how did Prince die? The media is reporting and they're guessing and they're creating news where probably there isn't any. But then there's the money. I don't know if you know this, but Prince's estate is estimated at $300 million. He's one of the most successful entertainers in the history of the world, far more than most. And the question is being asked out there, who's going to inherit his estate? Who's going to get the $300 million? And it's going to keep growing. He has no kids, he has a sister, maybe some half-siblings, he has dearly loved friends, he's got musicians that he was close to, he was actually a Jehovah's Witness. Is he going to put all of them or some of them or any of them in a will? Is there a will? Is there a trust? Does it exist? People are speculating, who did Prince leave the $300 million to? Who will inherit it? Think about it for a minute. If you knew that you were going to inherit $300 million one day, how would it affect the way that you live here and now? If you were going to inherit all that money, what would it do to you here and now? Having an inheritance that's going to be coming, it affects us in certain ways. It can, be, it can affect you in a good way. It can affect you in a bad way. It can affect you in a bad way because you can think, well, I'm going to get all this money one day, so I'm just going to, I'm going to be lazy, I'm not going to work hard, I'm going to slack off, I'm not going to go to school, I'm not going to go to college, I'm not going to get a degree, I'm not going to really try, I'm just going to sit by the pool and have people serve me because I got all this money coming my way. Nobody likes that sort of person, right? They're entitled, they're privileged, they're spoiled, they're lazy, they don't know how to work hard. But on the other hand, an inheritance can be a good thing. It can be a thing that says, you know, I'm going to have a certain amount of security in my life, whether it's $3 million or $100,000 or $50,000 or whatever. I'll be able to use that inheritance to provide for my kids and my grandkids and make my home a little bit more stable, and, and then maybe I can give some to the charities and the causes that my heart is connected to. That's what a lot of people have done with our church. This is named Walker Hall after the Walker family. It's why St. John's is gift because of the generosity of passing down inheritance. But it all depends on the trust, right? It all depends on the will. Was it written down? Did the right person write it down? Was an attorney involved? The words of the will are only trustworthy and true if they are written down in the right way by the right people. But most importantly, the right person has to be giving it. There has to actually be an inheritance. And that person giving the inheritance has to be trustworthy and true. So what sort of inheritance do you have coming your way? Do you have an inheritance coming your way? And how does it affect you here and now how you live? 
made me think quite a bit about the destruction and the pain that the people are experiencing in Japan and especially in Ecuador. After these earthquakes, you've got hundreds of people killed, thousands of people injured and hospitalized. Their homes and their workplaces, their infrastructure are utterly destroyed. An economy that was already devastated in Ecuador, it's going to take billions of dollars and years to just bring it back to the devastating state it was already in. An inheritance is the last thing on those people's mind, right? They're thinking death, mourning, crying, pain. Now the heavens and the earth are beautiful, right? The work of God himself. We look at this world that we're created and we see the sunset. We go to the Grand Canyon, maybe the beach or the mountains, and we see the fingerprints of God upon the creation. But we also realize that the earth is also broken. It's not working the way it should be. And the people of Japan and Ecuador, they know how fierce and how terrible the brokenness of this world can be. Not even a $300 million inheritance could come close to fixing their world. Humanity also is beautiful. We've been created in the image of God. We see it all around us in the good people that God has placed in our lives. And if you're a parent, you probably see it in your children. You say, wow, amazing. Holding little Hunter there, God's creation. You see the fingerprints of God. We are made in his image. But we also see that we are broken. We see that we've inherited a self-centeredness from Adam and Eve all the way back in the garden when they fell. We inherited all along the line and we've embraced it and we've perpetuated it and we've let that brokenness seep into our lives. And everything that causes tears and pain and mourning and ultimately death itself is because of that brokenness. The friends and the family of Prince know that brokenness all too well. In a moment, we're going to pray for the friends and family who mourn the death of Alvaro Lopez and Scott Whitson. They know that brokenness all too well. They're experiencing death, mourning, grief, pain. Not even a $300 million inheritance could take it away. Death, mourning, crying, pain. Believe it or not, our text from Revelations chapter 21 Some of the very last words in the Bible speaks loudly and clearly and powerfully into that reality of brokenness that we experience not only in our lives, but in actually the earth and the creation itself. St. John, who wrote the book of Revelation, he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos. It's an island that still exists to this day. He was imprisoned there because of his faith in Jesus. He knows, he knew a broken humanity. And so he writes to the seven churches of Asia Minor, who also knew a broken humanity. They were being persecuted at the time by the emperor Domitian because of their faith in Jesus. So John, in prison, on this island, he's given a vision of the future. God gives him a vision of the future. He spoke powerful and hopeful words into his life, a reality that we've been unpacking for 2,000 years, and the Christian church is embracing and looking to, and looks to those powerful words because God gives us a vision of the future, of what it's going to look like. And in the book of Revelation, we are given a, a vision of the future, the future that is going to be God winning the victory ultimately, God fixing everything that is broken in our lives and in the world and in the creation. In verse 21, verse 1, it's put this way. Then I saw, that's John, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Well, what's he talking about there, new heaven and new earth? As a Christian, you may be confused. Like We, we often wonder what happens to us after we die. We go to heaven. That's true. The, the scriptures speak about it. That when we die, our souls are with Jesus. We are with him in paradise for, for it will be eternity. But the, the bigger picture is that Jesus will come again. We just confessed it in the words of the Apostles' Creed. He will come again and we will rise from the dead body and soul united together. We will live in the new heavens and the new earth. That's our ultimate reality. John saw that new heaven and that new earth in the future. The first earth, it says, passed away. All the brokenness of humanity and the creation will be gone. It will be undone. It will be untrue. I was at Watson's this past week. Anybody been to the new Watson's, right? I mean, that's a bad example, but it's kind of like that. The old Watson's is gone, my friends. Thank the Lord. <laughs> the new Watson's is here, man. It is way better. It is awesome in there. It's still Watson's though, right? But it's new. The old is gone. The new has come. God is going to bring a new heavens and a new earth, and it's going to be 500 million times better than the new Watsons. I'm telling you the truth. He also said there's no longer going to be any sea. And if you're from California, you're like, what? We're not going to have a beach there? I don't know about that. But in the Old Testament, the sea was kind of symbolic of the separation, the gulf, you might say, between man and between God. And so what we have here is a picture of that gulf being removed, and man and God will be together. John also gives us the vision in verse 2. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Not from man, not from my own mind, not from what I want, not from my inheritance, but from God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The imagery is kind of weird there, but think about it. If you're a man and, you've, and if you're married, don't you remember the wedding day? I mean, I'm, my wedding day was one of the best days of my life. The doors opened. It was over in the sanctuary, and there my bride comes walking down, and I was just, this is awesome. One of the best days of my life. John is saying it's going to feel like that when Jesus comes again, but a hundred times more. He continues on. He says, this is what it's going to be like. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. That's the same word from the tabernacle in the temple in the Old Testament. In John chapter 1, where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God will be living with us in a more powerful, in a more profound way than we've ever experienced. All the brokenness of this life will be taken away, and we'll have a new relationship with God. It'll be like in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, before they fell, walked with God in the cool of the day. It's coming. Verse 4 continues on and says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. No one else in the world can promise you that. No one else can give you that. No earthly inheritance can speak like that. Verse 5 continues, it says, he who was seated on the throne, that's God the Father. For the first time, he speaks in the book of Revelation directly at John. He says, I am making everything new. 
We go back to the creation. It says God spoke. He said, let there be light, and there was light. God speaks it into existence here at the recreation. God the Father is saying, I am making everything new, and John saw it. He saw the reality that is coming for all of us, a new heavens and a new earth. And he says this, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Write it down. And this is not somebody writing you know, notes on a napkin at a diner. It's not even an important law firm creating the most awesome trust or will. These are the words that are trustworthy and true from God himself. They can't be negated. They're going to be fulfilled. They are God's words. He is faithful. He is qualified. He's trustworthy. He is true without question. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and it's coming, and it's going to be forever, and it's going to be awesome, and it's for you. Verse 21, chapter 21, verse 6, he said to me, it is done. It's finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. It is done. John saw the future completed. Not just a dream that he had one night, but a vision from God, a gift from God so that all of us could unpack it 2,000 years later, this very moment, and let that vision comfort us. Because when John awoke from the vision, when he stepped out of the vision, he was still on the island of Patmos in prison. And all the churches were still being persecuted by the emperor, Domitian. But because of that vision, they were given a gift of a future. A gift that the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the God who is through whom and from whom and to whom are all things would be giving us a water that would be eternal, that would satisfy our entire being. And in verse 7, the voice speaks and says, those who are in victorious, those who are victorious will inherit. They will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. I don't know about you, but that is the kind of inheritance that I want. I want eternal security not just a few decades. I want tears that are gone forever and replaced with songs of joy like we just sang this morning. I want a morning that is gone forever that's replaced with healing and strength and wholeness of body and mind. I want death to be dead and replaced with eternal life, life as a son, as a child, as a daughter, as an heir, as a member of a family, a perfect family without abuse or neglect or struggle or strife or fighting a family so big with such a huge inheritance that there's not going to be any siblings fighting over the distributions because we're all going to get an equal and eternal inheritance. But you see, how do we get written into that will? How do we get into the trust? How do we become a kid in the family? It says those who are victorious will inherit. That kind of sounds like something I've got to do. Other versions say those who overcome, victorious, overcome. It comes from the Greek word Nike, which is where we get Nike. Nike would say what? Just do it, right? I'm telling you, I've tried, okay? You cannot just do it. You cannot just overcome death, mourning, grieving, crying, pain, tears, brokenness of humanity and creation. The commercials make you feel good, but it doesn't work, right? You can't just do it. So how do we overcome? How do we become victorious? How do we get our name written into the will and get this inheritance? 
John, he had not only wrote Revelation, he wrote the Gospel of John, he also wrote the Epistles of John. And in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, he tells us how you overcome. He says, for everyone born of God overcomes, has victory, Nikes the world. This is the victory, he says. This is the Nike. This is the overcoming that has overcome the world, our faith. You are born of God. We saw it this morning. We saw it with Hunter, washed in the water, born of God, clothed with Christ in baptism. We have faith, we have belief, we have trust. All of that is just basically a relationship of dependence upon another. When our children were born, immediately they trusted and they depended on us. They had faith in us. That faith is possible if you're one day old or if you're 90 years old. That's how you overcome you overcome because Jesus overcame on the cross and he gives you that victory in his death and his resurrection for you. I asked you earlier on, what kind, of, what kind of inheritance do you have coming your way? Do you have an inheritance? How does it affect the way you live here and now? Well, some of you might have millions coming. Some of you might have negative inheritance coming. Some of you may have nothing, but all of you have an internal inheritance in Jesus Christ. And your name is written in the will. And you can totally and utterly rely on it. He is trustworthy. He is true. And it's an inheritance that far outweighs any $300 million you could inherit from Prince or from anybody else. Because, my friends, you see, no matter how wealthy we are, no matter how youthful we try to be, ultimately death comes knocking. And an earthly inheritance cannot take it away but your heavenly one can. John, he saw it with his own eyes, and he wrote it down. God the Father saying, I am making everything new. It's the only inheritance our brothers and sisters in Ecuador can grab onto, and it's the only inheritance that we in this room can rely on, a promise, a new heaven, a new earth, no more death, no more crying, no more pain, no more tears. We have that inheritance. It's ours in Jesus. So, we have this inheritance coming. How's it going to affect us here and now? It can be good and it could be bad, right? I hope it's good. I hope it gives you a sense of peace and security and strength to face the broken world that is in your life, in your being, and all around you, whether it's earthquakes or disease or family troubles or crime or abuse or addiction or whatever brokenness that's surrounding you. It gives you strength to say, I have an inheritance coming. But it should also want us to pass it on, right? To our kids, to our grandkids. And you know what? We have so much inheritance coming. It's so huge. It's limitless. It's beyond. It's eternal. We can start writing everybody into the will, even our enemies. They can get their names in there. And I know that every one of you in this room this morning, you have someone in your life, someone in your life whose name is not written in the will. They're not in the trust. My friend, I hope that you pray and pray that this week God gives you an opportunity to tell them about your inheritance and the inheritance that is theirs in Jesus in faith.